I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to Hit Me One More Time, the Nostalgia Reflection Podcast, where we look at the things that we loved when we were younger and ask the question, is this good? I'm David Luzader, and with me, as always, I love him because he's so bad, it's Nick Shermooksness. Nick, hello. What? You know, man. <laughs> I, I, like bad, like like bad to the bone, or like... Like when people would say fat, but they meant like pH fat, you know, like that's so I, fat, like that kind of bad. I guess you're just or, not up on your 80s lingo. And that's that's showing right now. Very. Oh, sorry. You're uh, now it's, it's I, I'm connecting. I remember which scene you're riffing on right now, which we'll, we'll get to. But uh, wow. OK, that took me a second. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I am as bad as a power glove for sure, um, <laughs> which I hope is a good thing. Honestly, I don't know. I kind of passed that by. Um, but yeah, no, otherwise, uh, other than being bad, I'm also good, David. Thank you for asking. Oh, good. I'm, I I did. I, I don't remember if I did. I normally ask. I don't actually, I, think, no, I don't think you did. I don't think you did. I just I, like to assume that you, you know, make those kind of overtures. Yeah. Sometimes. I think we've just done so many episodes of this podcast now. Like so much of it just feels so familiar that we don't really care. We're like robots at this mm -hmm. point. Like it's just all perfunctory. We're just like, hey, you know, our guest has come on great, you know. We don't love it at all. Like this is in, just we're all dead nostalgia inside. to get hot take. <laughs> That's basically what it is at this point. Yeah, uh, yeah. Nick, you and I are all getting right. we get to see each other. I'll be, I'm bring our guests in here in a second. I, you know, this is the the, the people listening. They want to know, David, Nick. You haven't seen each other in like two years. How yeah. how are you two we, holding we, up? We and saw each rough. other right before we were at PAX East together. Uh, in I guess that was late February, early March, and then the pandemic fell into or fell it went into full swing, and and you moved across the country, and mm -hmm. and I mean, yeah, yes, yeah. there you go. That's, There's the details. I love that the that just we have so much enthusiasm for this <laughs> this upcoming trip where we're seeing each other for the first time. Oh, it's good. It's, I mean, it's going to be great. We talk, we talk weekly, so you know, like. How much? Well, it, and also because the pandemic happened, I wasn't seeing anybody for like the longest time. So talking to you on Zoom, you might as well have been down the street. You you know, yeah. you might as well have been in the same city. It's we like just, we've yeah. had a long distance friendship. We can say relationship. We can relationship. I'm ready, I'm ready to commit to that word. The the entire like the entirety of said relationship, but now it feels like in the last year everyone's gotten to experience what we've had all along. <laughs> is my thoughts well this is getting emotional if you can tell like i'm starting to tear up so i think we should bring our guests in yeah and and get this wonderful show on the road oh we're that we gonna... absolutely do it in fact enjoy oh yeah doing. oh uh, very much so and we have a guest uh who i'm very excited to have here who's brought us a topic i'm excited to talk about i'm super excited to have this guest gonna keep talking about how excited i am about joe meyer of the neutral ground podcast joe welcome to the show thank you david nick it is absolutely my pleasure well, it's our pleasure to have you, Joe. For people who might not know what the Neutral Ground podcast is about, just give us uh, give us the rundown. Yeah, super easy. What it's about is actually, 
you know, we have so many different kind of extreme takes, extreme views on things in general. I just wanted to carve out a space where we could um, talk about meaningful things, ideas, and not have to worry about like having to have some kind of extreme view. I just want to talk about big things. And a lot of it comes out of, you know, teaching as well and trying to get uh, my, my students to think in terms of outside of the extreme views. So that's really what it's about is talking about meaningful things without extreme hot takes. Can you, for a show built on hot takes, just to be clear, uh, can you give us an example of, of, of one of these um, neutral topics? Sure. So my first, uh, actually the first five episodes of, of my podcast, I build up a theory where I talk about the role that historical movements play on how, on sort mm. of shaping our culture today. Mm-hmm. So moving all the way through from uh, modernism through uh, postmodernism, and we talk a lot about postmodernism and uh, and then the current historical movement, neo-modernism. And my whole goal is not to look at any one specific thing that has made us kind of extreme in our views, but rather to look kind of like from a distance mm-hmm. and say, let's see how these historical movements and cultures have kind of shaped the the current cultural climate in which we live now. And the only way you can do that well is by not attaching yourself to any kind of extreme side because then you're immediately going to be dismissing the other side you're almost like transporting yourself to the future to then reflect on the time period you're actually living in in a way because there's always that distance from you know 100 years ago 200 years ago and it feels like you know it's like it's like when like a, a really controversial comic book comes out and everyone gets all raged about i don't know why i'm making this <laughs> comparison all raged about it but you know like 10 years later no one cares that peter parker made a deal with satan no i still in order care. to all his marriage you know what i mean like it's just it's water under the bridge no anyway i I get all the time i'm still (laughs) i'm still mad about it i I can see david laying awake at night just kind of murmuring to himself about that which is not what we're here to say i'm annoyed by the ben kingsley and iron man 3 i haven't gotten over that (laughs) so i you know i'm I'm gonna go ahead and undercut myself here with that yeah no but in a way you you are right though right because a lot of times when we think about historical movements it's usually like hundred years after the fact. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm trying to lay out what our current movement is, neo-modernism, right now. And that's why I'm doing it kind of with with my audience here. We're kind of working together to kind of forge that that research. That's really cool. I also have to say that I really love this idea of like modernism to like postmodernism to like neo-modernism. Like clearly we, we we have defined ourselves as sort of hitting the apex and now we're just kind of swirling around it. Well, I mean, we can only we can only really classify where we're currently at. I mean, you know, people, you know, uh, 30, 40, 50 years from now might call it something entirely different. As yes, a, post-neo-modernism. Joe, I'm curious, what subject do you teach? Uh, I teach in the uh, Writing and Critical Inquiry Program at the University at Albany in upstate New York. Okay, so Nick, you got two teachers it. on here. What are you doing to better humanity? Um, I think I recycled something today. Good enough. Hey, <laughs> all right. You know? I'll take, you know, we take the one piece of good, anything yeah. we can get. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. Yeah. And, God, uh, I feel great now for that one little thing I did. Thanks guys. <laughs> you, awesome. you should, I don't have a transition at all for our subject, but we're going to get into it. It is brought to us by Joe. It is the wizard. This 1989 children's film is about three young kids who run away from home to make their way to California, so the youngest, the emotionally withdrawn but amazing at video games, Jimmy, 
can win them $50,000 at a video game tournament. If you really want to picture it, just imagine like if Rain Man was a commercial for Nintendo and Universal Studios, and instead of Las Vegas, it was Reno. But we'll get into all that. First, we're going to discuss our own personal histories with the topic. Joe, you brought it here. What is your history with the wizard, and why did you decide to bring it to this podcast? Okay, so actually prior to to even uh, us communicating back and forth, I was trying to explain to my wife this movie. <laughs> this was about a month ago. And I remember when it came out, I was nine years old when it came out. I had my Nintendo. And of course, the big thing when the movie came out, the marketing was all about they're going to show Super Mario Brothers 3. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, my God. I want to see this. And they were highlighting all the technology, the power glove and all these different things. And you were just so absorbed in Nintendo, like uh, the Nintendo culture Mm -hmm. that you couldn't help but want to see that film. You didn't care who was in it. You just needed to see it. And of course, I did see it and I loved it, not because it was a good movie, but because we saw Super Mario Brothers 3, basically an hour and a half commercial for Nintendo products. Mm-hmm. And I was okay with that. And that stuck with me. Not the, you know, the fact that it was a good movie, but just how excited I was, that nostalgic feeling that you get, the emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And so when I was explaining this to my wife, and then I came across your podcast, I thought, you know what? I want to do this. I want to see this again. And I want to see if it actually does in any way connect back through genuine nostalgia feeling here. Mm. And so that's why I just, I felt like I really needed to do this. I want, and I, and, and I thank you for the platform. Well, you're welcome. Uh, I'm glad. So now this podcast has achieved its destiny and we will be shuddering now. (laughs) Oh no, I ruined it. (laughs) Yeah. Joe has got, Oh no, no, it's okay. I've been waiting to find like a purpose. And now, you know, you get the platform to watch the wizard again and, and my job. Here That's all done. this was for. Uh, like yeah. it was ordained in like the Dead Sea Scrolls yeah. or something. The prophecy, there you go. The yeah. prophecy has been fulfilled. <laughs> it's fulfilled. But that that podcasting oh, which awesome. wasn't crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome. That that's I really like sort of the enthusiasm you're bringing to. Almost like it, we'll get into it, right? But not just the. You're not saying that whether it's good or not, but just that like. Oh, sorry, how, let me rephrase that. It's not like you were saying, not so much that the movie itself is good or not, but that regardless, there was something about it that you've carried with you through your whole life since then. And I think that's that's a really interesting form of nostalgia. I mean, that's basically the thesis for this podcast is let's look at those things that were formative to us that had a you major know, No, it's true. But a lot of times it's like, you know, like I, I really loved... I don't know, Pokemon, whatever, you know, like something where it's like you love it because you love it. Right. Right. Yeah. Versus this is like, it's not to say that he didn't enjoy the movie at nine years old or whatever, but like there, the fact that like he got to see like Nintendo products and Super Mario Bros. 3 and all of that was almost a bigger driving factor than the movie itself. So that, that I'm curious to sort of dig into and, and explore. and, And I mean, like, and I know we still have to get to mine and Nick's history and all that here. Um, It'll be very quick. But we we talked about uh, with our Dark Cloud episode, we talked about how like video games, you know, even in in uh, the era that the PS the PS2 was coming out, 
you just never knew anything. Like you never knew information. Like there were no leaks. You only got what information like came through a magazine. And yes. that's like amplified so much more in 1989. And I, I mean, would you have even known there's a Super Mario Brothers 3 coming out? And then you're seeing this movie and they're showing it to you. They're showing you actual gameplay. They're like, they're making this big deal out of it. It's a, it's a plot point that this game is happening. Like, that would have blown my mind as a kid. Oh, yeah. And, mm. Absolutely. And we'll get into it uh, because, Nick, I want to know, have you ever seen The Wizard? Do you have any history with The Wizard? And how many times can I say the word wizard in this episode? It's going to be a lot, but go. I, As far as I recall, I have never seen this movie or heard about it. Um, I was one years old in 1989 um which i was already into like classical cinema and stuff by that point so i you know i think i just kind of overshot it a bit you know citizen kane or whatever that Uh moon one like the first anyway not important um but uh yeah so really like no history i'm just trying i was trying to extend my talking time a little bit but david what about you so i have never seen this movie um i also was one years old when this this movie came out um one year old not important i do though i i have been aware of this movie for a while i'm not sure how long primarily because somewhere in my internet history um i came across a discussion of this movie it's primarily the power glove scene and somebody linked uh linked to it on youtube and i watched that and was like like just what this was a this was a film that came that is a scene in a movie and the way that lucas and oh i could talk this whole podcast about that scene um and we'll see we'll see if i do but in the meantime uh that was it like that was all i i watched it i every once in a while would think of the power glove movie and like go look it up and be like oh fred savage was in this this movie in 1989 and uh that was it So this was my first time watching it. I never really had a a strong desire to see it because like it was very obviously a kid's movie and I learned about it in my 20s and, you know, it didn't really have like a strong draw for me. But now that I have seen it, I'm very excited to talk about it. Before we get into everything, though, Nick, can you tell us the world's history with The Wizard? I I can't. You say wizard with such I, inflection. I know. Yeah. Like I'm saying it a lot, so I have to keep mixing it up. The wizard. That's fair. That's fair. Anyway, uh, so after several Nintendo games were delayed due to a shortage of ROM chips, which feels like it's kind of like what we're dealing with today. Actually, I think in like the 80s, everything was shortage too. So we're really just like 80s, the sequel, it's Electric all Boogaloo. Times a flat circle right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just electronics. You know, they have to deal with this in the Stone Age. Anyway. Uh, after several years later, sort of an opportunity presented itself where Nintendo could promote Super Mario Brothers 3 in a film. Tom Pollack of Universal Studios, a name that you'll never hear again because I never heard of him until I wrote this, wanted to develop a film based on video game uh, competitions that Nintendo were uh, was hosting. Uh, Todd Holland, uh, not Tom Holland, just to be clear, I don't think he was born yet, uh, was brought on to direct with child star Fred Savage, set to star. The movie was filmed over a month and a half between June and July 1989 and released in December of that same year, actually, which is interesting. I mean, not that the movie had like a lot of budget 
or not budget, you know, special effects or what have fine. you. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, also that. Um, but like it, it, it does seem weird that like they just filmed it in a month. Um, that... That's about for a film of this size. I think that's about right. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, I just want to point out that I know nothing about filmmaking, so I'm a really good authority <laughs> on this. Yeah, no, no, um, no that's fair. So oh, interestingly, plus, though, plus uh, oh, this ahead, was like the Wonder Years was on. So they really exactly. only had Fred Savage for. Like, I remember watching the Wonder Years as a kid on like Nick at Night, I think it was or whatever. I would get in trouble because I stayed up to watch Wonder Years, which feels like of all the things to get in trouble for, you know, mom, come on. Like <laughs> it was the Wonder Years. Like I wasn't doing drugs um, <laughs> at nine years old uh, anyway uh so interestingly enough the film marketed itself as the first public reveal of super mario brothers 3 but it had actually already released in japan the year before and was covered by u.s video game magazines but i think as david was saying you know i don't think like even though there were gaming magazines like if you didn't know where to find them or that they were a thing it's still lost on you i'm sure they were kind of banking on that as far as this somewhat misleading marketing campaign yeah, for, for some kids it was like if your friend had a subscription maybe you saw the that the was with me ah, my friend had a subscription to nintendo power and yeah. i was like you rich what the hell how did you get that was, and it was cool you would sit there and stare at the pages and they had a phone number you could call to get tips nobody ever That's... did it because they never wanted to get in trouble <laughs> <laughs> Uh, to me, that's so wild, which is funny because nowadays kids will just take their credit cards out of their parents' pockets for uh, <laughs> whatever the microtransactions. Um, <laughs> wow, this is great. We're still trying to get through the history. So apparently the film was originally 2.5 hours Good long, and almost, which is weird to think about. Yeah. But with almost an hour of footage being cut, it covered more of the boy's home life in the beginning of the film, Nick's alcoholism, which other than his dad mentioning that he drank. Uh, which I'm like oh, a teenager, which I didn't drink as a teenager, but you know I get it. It was late '80s. You know I, I didn't I didn't pick up on alcoholism at all. Anyway, the road trip and Spanky the trucker. Yeah, Spanky. Uh, it released at number five at the box office and went on to gross over 14 million dollars in its run uh, from a budget of six million. It was a modest success, but critically the film didn't go over well. Roger Ebert called the film a cynical exploitation film <laughs> with a lot of commercial plugs, as well as insanely overwritten and ineptly filmed. Despite this, the film has since gone on to become a cult staple and was popular enough decades later to hold a reunion screening in 2008. Hmm. Wow. Which has been over a decade, so now I feel like we're due yeah, for another this reunion. Is like, this is, that's kind of impressive in 2008 because like now you know especially during the pandemic yeah yeah you can get them on a zoom call whatever like someone can just sit on their couch and and talk about whatever movie they did 30 years ago but in like mm -hmm. 2008 that's like some serious some serious love to get people well i mean what's fred savage doing these days but yeah um, you know it's some serious love <laughs> to get them together in in one place right also, two two and a half hours like Knowing that now makes some of the scenes make way more sense because yeah. I was like, why is this written in here? Like the whole dead sister plot. Um, or like also the movie ends, Jimmy wins, spoiler alert for, for the wizard. Then the movie goes on for another like 10 minutes. And I was like, what, what are we doing? Okay. We're wrapping up this plot line. And it still felt like 
I thought it was something they added in later to try and like give the film more emotional weight. But now finding out mm-hmm. the movie was two and a half hours long is uh, crazy to me. I yeah. I appreciate the apparently the director wasn't on board with how long it was either, but I, I kind of appreciate how m- much they tried to develop this world just for promoting Nintendo products though, you know, and, and to be fair, the stuff with the sister is basically, I mean, Jimmy is clearly having issues from the beginning of the film. He's carrying around that lunchbox. Like it's, it's technically foreshadowed from the first scene. And then you find it like when the lunchbox breaks open, when they're being attacked. And like, so I think that, the, the winning the video game thing was sort of like this childish from Fred Savage's uh, Corey, I think his name was co- sort of Corey's childish idea of what could solve like a pretty significant emotional trauma that uh, mm. Jimmy's going through. Um, and so even though he won and it kind of brought like that brought everyone together. And in a sense, because of that, I'm jumping right into the deep stuff, you know, by when you get to that final scene where like the family's together and he, leaves the lunchbox and that from the photo and all like i think that that sort of brings the emotional aspect of the film together oh joey what yeah, you, oh, joey not, i don't know what i called you joey no no joey, there's not there's not much nuance to it right it's very mm-hmm. self-aware of its own writing to the point that it kind of almost narrates itself like you know <laughs> jimmy goes over and grabs a drink and you're like okay you could just just do it like you just it's very self-aware of itself and it, that extends the film quite a bit but it does mm-hmm. I do give them credit too for exploring something that I don't recall, you know, the trauma of Jimmy. I don't recall something being explored like that with such a young child at that time. And Mm -hmm. it's still even difficult to do that today. Well, Mm -hmm. and it's not that bad, really. The exploration part of that is not that bad, a little clumsy with the story of how the young sister passed, but uh, you know, interesting actually. I think there's definite weight to it and there's interesting stuff there. Um, it's just like, I think now where we're at in, uh, in modern society with like mental health and mm-hmm. kind of our broader understanding, I, th- I think that could have been handled maybe with a bit more like depth and, and interest rather than being like Jimmy, Jimmy is sad. And so he go. builds <laughs> towers and like, that that is an interesting setup for his character, but because it's like 1989, mm-hmm. that's more like he's traumatized from the death of his sister, and then it's fixed when they go to the to the dinosaur again, um, and that's like that's just kind of it as far as yeah. like how and I, I do applaud them of like including that he's like a troubled child who has this trauma in his life, but with it being the 80s maybe not given the the treatment that it could now get today to like really explore what does this kid need and, and it's not just video games right yeah. i mean even mental health today as much as i'd like to say that it's come you know leaps and bounds a lot of times it depends on who you are or where you are i mean people definitely still have sort of family member or if you're a kid like parents that maybe you know, don't still don't really give it a lot of credence and and won't support you and that kind of stuff. Or, you know, basically they just kind of want to shove your problems in the rug, much like Jimmy's um, mother and stepfather, you know, are trying to do in the film. Um, So I I think, I think I agree that on some levels we have come a long way, but also that um, the film, that aspect of the film, definitely I imagine is still relevant to 
many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. I, I would I would agree with that. And also, I didn't realize at first that that was his stepfather, because uh, the way that he was like talking and acting, and I I don't remember that uh, that actor's name, um, who's been in like a, a ton of stuff. Uh, but he's like talking, like I thought uh, it's a uh, Sam McMurray is the, is the guy's name. Mm. Um, I thought he was like the family lawyer or something. Like he was, yeah. the, he just like didn't seem to have an emotional attachment to what was going on, but it was just like, I'm responsible for this kid and he's really yeah. driving me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was very detached and in a way that it was almost like a, as detached as you could be almost as if there wasn't even a struggle there within the family. He was so detached, like a lawyer, like you yeah. said, you know, he just has that legal capacity to watch over the the child. And and it 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 doesn't. Int- I think something that we're coming to here, too, is it does a really good job of introducing complex kind of things, right? Like mm-hmm. like the building of the structures, like you said, at the very beginning. And they mentioned Jimmy being able to build those structures like three times. Mm-hmm. But if you really think about it. Nothing is really made of that. No. In the end, nothing. And especially with how wonderful it is when the teacher is meeting with the two parents and the teacher is like, I think that this means something. And and then they kind of push back and you find out she's just not really willing to say like what it is or what it what she thinks it means. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was such a great introduction to the concept that went nowhere. Yeah, which was uh, maybe kind of realistic in a way as well, um, with how often does stuff kind of just get brushed off uh, concerning kids. Oh, yeah, it, it, the, the whole, like, it means something thing. Even while watching it, I was like, Close Encounters of the Third Kind? Is exactly. that what, is that what we're doing? Yeah. Get that kid some mashed potatoes. Let's see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, you're you're right in that sense, that the, especially the the... the the lunchbox I get, the building block thing. Like, I think they could have actually probably just been fine with the lunchbox, you know? Why does he never let go of this lunchbox? Da, da, da. But the building thing, I mean, you kind of, uh, um, with like, you know, like uh, autism diagnoses, you hear a lot about like kids that are sort of detached and they just kind of spend time trying to like build stuff. I, it is what some might consider an early indicator of, of autism, um, which they never say is the case with Jimmy in the film. So it might not be it might not be the intention behind Jimmy, but I think there's maybe an element of it there because I mean kids, you know, they're they're he went. I mean that's watching your your twin sister die is pretty freaking traumatic. Yeah, among all the among all oh, the yeah. people to watch die, like that's pretty traumatic. Yeah, all of them are pretty traumatic. But um, you know, I also feel like but his behavior is still kind of like he's withdrawn. But it, if I don't know, maybe it just wasn't conveyed super well. It felt like his reactions were too simplistic but maybe i'm i'm overthinking it no i think you're right like they just they they didn't have a aside from trauma which like was it probably as well known by the the screenwriter uh they just probably didn't really know like specific what was wrong with him so it's just like uh, he's quiet and, and doesn't i i thought autism at first too i thought that was the route they were going but that ended up being trauma and it just it's a little it's a little loose Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only connection that I could make when I was thinking about it was the idea of so he they tell you very quickly that she drowns and that he was there and that he can't swim. 
And so he carries a little bit of that of that guilt that he wasn't able to do something to help her. And so the building allows him a way to control a specific space of his world. He can build this world and then he can control it at the same time. Hmm. But I got to be honest, if for, for such an interesting concept, you have to do a lot of work there. Yeah. I think for the much more than an audience is usually going to do to in, enjoy it in some way. And even that's not a perfect reading by any means. Yeah. Oh, if only this movie was two and a half hours long, we could have had. Yeah, we needed more footage. Explored. Is what we needed. Uh, we need the DVD extended cut with commentary. Uh, yeah, release the <laughs> release the Pollock cut. Or yeah. <laughs> Holland Holland cut. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> can we? Uh, can we, Nick? Do unless you had something. You. I just want to talk. I want to talk about the bounty hunter. Yeah, mm. go for it. Like, could they have picked a like? A creepier looking dude to play the bounty hunter, like a, a hunter, a bounty hunter that specializes in missing children. Like kids run away, so I mean, I imagine that there is a profession for that. And uh, I mean, maybe my only real perception of real bounty hunters is Dog the Bounty Hunter, which is not necessarily a great comparison. Um, but like, it, it is sort of like okay, we're going to make this guy be a stereotypical pedophile looking guy, you know, yeah. you know, creepy, you know, this is what he does for a profession, but like you get some weird vibes from this guy other than just being a consummate professional that hunts down children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they hearken to it. Right. I mean, they bring it out to the forefront when the young lady, when she tries to get Jimmy out of the arcade, I mean, oh, she right. hearkens to being touched. Yeah. And you're like, wow, this became very all of a sudden what was like a a subconscious kind of thought became very conscious and you're yeah. like oh wow this is awkward you like know the really. movie knew exactly what it was doing yes. with the yeah i would agree like he's got the he's got the receding hairline uh he's got the like those kind of big glasses uh wearing a bolo tie it's just like <laughs> and i'm not i'm not making any judgment on the actor bolo, bolo at all. Ties. Bol, bolo ties, yes. Um, but no, like, no judgment on the actor at all. But, like, they were definitely going for a 60 minutes vibe. Like, <laughs> don't let this man near your children sort of look. And then he's the one that's that's hunting them the, across two states. And it just, yeah. And then you're like, that scene when she, when she's like, he touched my breast. Um, is like whoa okay so we're just like going there at that point just full and the 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 two security guards come and grab him but like no one checks on the kids it's like yeah it's they're they're probably fine. yeah and that's a recurring thing through the whole movie because the the kids so often like how the hell did they really get to california because like the the idea that like no adult along the way like officially stops them and like calls child services or anything like that everyone's just so willing to let them ride in the back of a pickup truck or an animal caravan or i don't know why i couldn't think of the word but um animal caravan it's fine uh you know like first off riding in the back of a pickup truck totally fun only got to do it once when i was a kid and now everyone's like oh you really shouldn't do that um so i love that part but still as if i was an adult in the mid or west west you know whatever that area of the country you know and a couple of kids are like hey i'll give you some money if you drive me to california i'll be like hold up yeah 
there's yeah you would think so yeah right like there's bikers that take them without question there's truckers there's uh just like people driving down the road everyone's just like hey kids let's go right uh, and only at once does anybody like rob them well i guess right twice, the best case like, that, like that's separate. the best situation that could have happened right in that situation <laughs> Yeah, but also like uh, her relationship with like I mean, so she says her dad's a trucker, which we never see her dad. I'm pretty sure she just gets adopted by this family by the end of the movie. <laughs> um, but like she apparently is able to contact truckers that take time out of their presumably busy trucking schedules um, in order to <laughs> well, corner the the movie establishes she's clairvoyant uh, by her run at the at the craps table. Where she is calling every every dice shot perfectly. That's true. What? Yeah. yeah. That is not a game that you can like know the system. You can't like know what card might be. You can't be counting cards on that. It's just someone throwing dice and she like gets it right. Specific calls every single time. And it's yeah. not just someone, David. It's Spanky. Yeah. I was, Why he was spanky there in the first seems like place. like a I... lovely man. Spanky's but maybe you, maybe you make a phone call, Spank. Super, maybe, super nice, yeah. Maybe but Spanky had different. Also, he says like at some point that he stole the truck that he's mm-hmm. driving them to California right? in or whatever it was. Yeah, he I does. Think... He's like he's mad enough. He'll, he'll be mad enough that I took the truck. And they're like, "Come on!" He's like, "Okay, we'll drive to California." No, no, it was so they were already driving, and then uh, crap. What's the girl's name? Haley. Haley, yeah. Haley. Haley. Haley is like, can't you go any faster? And he's like, I already took the stolen truck or something. I can't remember the exact word, but more like an implication that he took the truck without permission, also yes. known as stealing. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was that was interesting. The, the movie it wanted a specific plot. It wanted Rain Man. It wanted Road Trip. It wanted it to be about a, 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 a three kids ranging from like I don't know eight to twelve going and just it's super unrealistic. We we get that it's silly. Um, I will say though that I did find it charming. Did anyone else find like did did you find it charming, Joe? Yeah, and I mean I, you hit on something else too, which was that that was a kind of trope in eighties movies too. If you think about it, in other words, the it's so like the Goonies, right? And you have movies like The Gate, where you have incredibly young people who go on adventures or or mm-hmm. save the world, right? And they don't need any kind of particular skills usually to do so, like anything, you know, magical or anything like that. They just need courage, right? I mean, they they walk out and they're able to do this. It's interesting to me that as we moved into the 90s, just like a year later, and then into the 2000s, it was like young people started to need to train to do things like so Harry Potter is special, but he's he's not good. He's got to train. You know, you mentioned, uh, I think, in the pre-conversation, like Pokemon or here and Ash is, you know, excited, but he's not good. He's got to train to do this. But in the 80s, it was like you just needed courage. And so for me, I think having that 80s background, it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember this kids going out you know, taking care of murderers and robbers. <laughs> like it was no big deal, you know, that kind of a thing. I hadn't even thought about it that way, really. It was just kind of like common to me. I was like, oh, okay. Huh. Yeah. That's no, a really the, interesting point. The, I, I could feel how 80s this movie was um, <laughs> while watching it. Like, uh, um, obviously, you know, we talk about Rain Man coming to mind with this just because, I mean, it rips off a lot of Rain Man. 
um, to the point where they're in casinos. I, also, that weird child arcade casino that had a, a young lady walking around with like bubble gum and and you know lollipops, <laughs> like she's like the you know someone walking around with drinks on a regular vape. <laughs> Who is watching this child? Or pay? Is she getting paid? I have a lot right. of questions. Um, but also, I just recently a movie this reminded me of a lot was Over the Top, which I yeah. watched recently. For I don't we, I don't need to get into that on this podcast. Um, it was of my own free will before anybody starts getting concerned. But also has like similar beats of like taking like challenging people in diners. Uh, mm-hmm. to to do something and like it's leading to this big competition that has like a lot of money and all this like prestige within this world like attached to it and and it was just such an 80s vibe of you're right uh like jimmy is is great at video games but they're like fred savage and and Haley, like they're just and jimmy they're just getting by because like they're just plucky kids and you know the kindness of strangers, I guess, which it feels like the 80s was very much a time of stranger danger. And uh, this yes. movie's like, nah, 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 don't worry about it. Just get in the truck. So I just want to say it's funny that you mentioned Over the Top, which I, I haven't seen. But in the on the production notes on Wikipedia, the truck that Spanky drives was used in Over the Top. Yes. Oh. So there's actual connection between the two films. Uh, also, apparently, it was used in Messenger of Death uh, and Tank Girl. Oh, it's a, it was mm. a it's a movie star. So this truck, truck got then. around. Yeah, this truck was famous. Good for them for getting the famous truck. Yeah, because I I wouldn't so, have known. I love that movie. I'm unashamed in my enjoyment of Over the Top. I love yeah. it. it over, it's so I, bad. It's wonderful. Over the top, like. All the dialogue is written for <laughs> Sylvester Stallone and a woman, but they put his uh, young man as his son in there. And there's several points where somebody should call the cops. Like when the kid jumps out of a moving truck and starts running down the road and Stallone just grabs him and everybody's like, nah, whatever. <laughs> Crazy yeah. kid. I'm We're going to have to do a deep this. dive into trucker morals. I, At I a certain guess. point, yeah. I mean, I, this movie is this happening out there right now too. <laughs> the truckers, the truckers code, right? I will say, over the top has an over the top and amazing uh, movie poster, though, and yeah. soundtrack. It's the the movie and is soundtrack. insane. The movie is ridiculous. I'm, I'm gonna, or, or Joe, if you come back, maybe maybe bring over the top. I mean, pretend oh, that absolutely. you pretend you don't have like a a, a history with it. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe we can just yeah. Well, we'll maybe we'll make an exception at some point and just do. We'll, we'll just watch. We just want to watch it and talk about it. So we'll stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. We'll figure that out. Uh, boy, we, we've gotten off of the the wizard. What were we talking? The, the, the <laughs> wizard. Uh, we're talking about the power glove. It's so good. It's bad. Or I I love the power glove. It's so bad. Oh. I love the power glove. It's so bad. I also oh. love. Lucas, his name was Lucas, right? Yep, Lucas. The, his his Lucas. outfit. I don't remember in the Power Glove scene, but definitely in the the climax. You know, he he looks like David from um, Schitt's Creek <laughs> a little bit, which is sort of the clothes. I'm like, I, that didn't even seem like 80s fashion. I, I'm not an expert on 80s fashion, but it just seemed like 
they just put some really big text on a piece of fabric and then accidentally turned it into a t-shirt. Yeah, he was like 80s, 80s rad. <laughs> rad rad bad boy. I guess it would be an 80s oh. lingo, a rad bad boy. Lucas was Lucas was such a rad dude, man. I mean, yeah. he <laughs> he's walking around with his with his NES games. He's like, I got 97 of them. Bikini gave me one. I'm good at all of them. I have 97 of them. The, the, no, go ahead. Like the, the, his power glove is in a case that someone carries for. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's I, art, but it also sucks. It's it's interesting. This movie, you know, I, I I thought esports was a relatively new thing, like within the last decade, you know. But in this case, like that was based. That was esports. Like in 1989, oh, yeah. they were promoting it, and so I feel like in some cases in this movie, like it was it actually treated video games as like a, a fairly like genuine skill or hobby or whatever like the the dad the 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 dad played by Bo bridges you know i think he maybe i maybe he makes a comment at one point but then he gets obsessed with playing yeah. the video games like even the the even like the snooty to do parents you know like they show up at the thing and they're like cheering and like the two dads are like hugging each other like they just get into it it's not like oh my god like i didn't grow up with video games this is rotting kids brain and mario is turning people to prostitution or something like it's not it wasn't any of that like it was just played straight but, but this it, yes yes i'm with you um but you mentioned like the dad getting hooked on games and christian slater who we have not mentioned yet is in this film uh, the movie also forgets he's in the movie for a while, so you know that's yeah. fine. Uh, but just God, the the blatant, just blatant Nintendo uh, promotion is, is just like like Christian Slater when they're at uh, when they're like asking around about the kid, he just plugs in this NES into a TV and starts playing it and is like talking to his dad, and then like they're at a hotel and he plugs in the NES and like starts playing it. And it's like, come, what, like what? Like why? Why does he just carry? I guess he's like, it was, it was his old one. It was just in the truck. But s still, you're just gonna plop down. Why do you have an old Nintendo TV? system in in the back of your truck too? Yeah, like for the fern, because they were like, like unscented ferns. The fern. They were like, you know, so they were like, oh god, the someone in the audience might question where he got this from. Let's write a line in here to make sure <laughs> no one figures it out. Yes. Yeah, and I got to use the power glove exactly one time, one time, oh. and it was horrific. It's, but I will yeah. say, I turned, I put it on, and for that brief second before I actually used it, I was like, "Wow, this might be really cool," <laughs> and it wasn't at all. It's not even cool in the movie. <laughs> it's so lame in the movie. Well, well, I mean, to be fair, like we've got like three decades of of history now, you know, and experience and changes in technology that the power glove seems stupid. But I mean, I don't know. I think if I if I was a kid in 1989, I, I would have thought the power glove uh, like much like Joe sort of just stated, like I think that would have been cool. The commercials principle. were the commercials yeah. were kind of cool. Plus, you had in the background. You also had a a guy by the name of Michael Jackson who also walked around with a single glove. And there was an element mm. of that, a connection of that culture as well, because Jackson was also really into video games also. 
And so when you saw that, it wouldn't have looked quite as awkward as it would today to just mm -hmm. have a single gloved item. Mm -hmm. Somehow there, there's like a connection there that it wouldn't have been, it wasn't as bad. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You can't convince me that somebody just standing in front of a screen with their hand out, turning I mean, a little bit while the car sort of moves around on the screen. I get nowadays I mean, we I put helmets on our head. Like it I remember, I was, I was visiting, well. I was visiting my nephew, and he had like a standalone VR helmet, and he was holding these things, and he's just like standing in the foyer of the house playing <laughs> I don't Beat Saber or something, you know, just yeah, Beat Saber. Uh, well, I, I'm standing there like you know, making faces at him and he can't see me. I've, I've never played Beat Saber, but I've heard it's good. It's um, I mean, yes, for 1989, that was a revolutionary piece of technology. Like there was the light gun and the light gun, like reading about how the light gun works is actually still like super, yes. is super clever how they it got is. that to work. And then I'm just reminded of the, oh, what was the one, the the 3D one they made? I had it, U-Force. No, you're talking about U Force, the, the, like the Nintendo one that like you'd like force your face onto. Oh, I had that. I got that one for free way back when. That was um, Virtual Boy. Virtual Boy, yes, I remember. I uh, wanted yeah. that, and my parents would not let me have it. But they were like, yeah. "You can, you can rent it from Blockbuster, but we're not buying yeah. you this thing." And they were right to not. Yeah, you didn't miss much it. either. Yeah, he did, really didn't. Tennis was kind of cool. Everything else, oof. Yeah. Just red. A sea of red. Oh, That's it. Oh, yeah. I remember that. I remember playing some, like, I think it was a Wario game, and it mm -hmm. was just being impossible to see anything. Oh, Wario. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, it, what else in the movie stuck out to me? Um, I think, so speaking a little bit on the, um, with them, like, pulling out the Nintendo system, it's, like, it, it's funny you know, because like it, we see it as just blatant product placement over and over again. But also, like these guys have a mission to you know save their 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 you know the dad. Speaking for the dad, who should be the responsible one, you know, to save his children, you know, both from creepy bounty hunter guy and and just the fact that they're freaking hitchhiking across <laughs> the country, mm -hmm. um, you know. But like still stops and takes time to play zelda like gets addicted to zelda right. gets addicted you know on the road it. like dude <laughs> prioritize <laughs> yeah again kind of a, an interesting scene that could have been you know or an interesting idea that could have been much more right like the whole time i guess we have to do the work to figure out like is this his way of trying to connect with jimmy better mm -hmm. right like if he can understand that pull to video games or what connects Jimmy to them, he can understand Jimmy better. But that's they, again, it's such it's a it's a lot of work. Yeah, for an audience in this kind of movie, that's like a long commercial. And in this case, actually, is it was it really about Jimmy or was it about Nick? Because I don't think that they were aware most of the time that they that Jimmy was a video game savant and also that they were trying to go to this competition. And until towards the end, but it seemed like there was some like Nick and dad aren't really, you know, gelling together. And then they sort of bond over the video games. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I, but I agree with Joe, like it could have been a really powerful way of him. Like I'm connecting mm -hmm. with my kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trying to via this video game, but it comes off much more like, 
I he gets addicted to games in the middle of the hunt for his kids and like kind of loses his priority. Uh, right. So that's you know. Also, they never explain like how they get out of certain things. Like their car gets towed, and then by the time they manage to recover the car, it's being dismantled, and they somehow find another car. Like I don't know if the junk shop just gave him one and they're driving around an unlicensed car or whatever, but the movie's just like, just go with it. Cars aren't that important to the story anyway. So well, if we could have know, gotten in the a two travel and, narrative, if we could have gotten the two and a half hour cut, there might have been all sorts of info there. We just exactly, didn't get. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. That those were the real deleted scenes. You know, that's I, I felt the movie was incomplete because I didn't know where these cars came from, and and I feel like that's the real heart of the movie that they just totally you know hatchet jobbed. It, How great it, would it really... be that the 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 extra special edition is really just plot. Like that's instead of the other way around, this is actually they made the mistake and the deleted scenes was actually the plot. <laughs> that would be that's fantastic. I love that idea. Um, uh, I mean, it's that's I guess that's basically the Snyder cut. Anyway, is there anything as we are uh, running out of time here that we have not talked about uh, that anybody wants to to bring up? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll just say that it's something that again connected to me in the future was I, I've I've been to exactly two video game tournaments, and both were in Street Fighter Alpha Three, and in Chinatown in New York, and I had exactly one great moment, and that's it. And that was me. For some reason, uh, we had it was like a, a regional kind of tournament, but we had like one really good player there who was known not really well known but known nationally mm -hmm. and of course i drew that player uh, in my first match yep and i was playing as zangief and as soon as the match started first round i jumped in did a super took half of this guy's health Ooh. one second nice. in i'm now up that much and i'm feeling it and i'm hearing the people <laughs> screaming and they're going oh my god it's gonna be an upset and I went on to lose spectacularly. <laughs> I mean, not the whole, just the match. I mean, even that round, I lost. <laughs> and of course, I'm hearing after that, people saying, you suck. What is going on? My own friends are coming up behind me. What are you doing, stupid? What are you doing? And watching this movie brought back that idea of like what it feels like to be in that in that space and have these emotional things going on behind you and feeling like people are like happy for you rooting and then they're against you and all this stuff and just how much pressure is really there to a degree mm -hmm. that you want to present yourself well and it just brought that back to me and I, and I made that nice kind of dual nostalgic moment I guess for me of thinking of, yeah. of both of that the movie and this I can't imagine how people do that. Like when I play a video game by myself at home, I get anxious enough, you know, <laughs> let alone having like a, a roaring chorus behind me, especially if they're saying you suck, yeah. you know, yes. <laughs> like, oh, oh my God, I just want to play. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was a fun, fun moment. Yeah. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, amazing. that's, that's great. Amazing, I love that you love that you have that story. Thank you uh, for sharing. This is the time of the show though, where we now ask the question, is this movie worth visiting today or does it stay in the Hall of Memory? Joe, this is the first time you've seen this movie in 30 years, over 30 yeah. years here, uh, now having revisited it as an adult. 
What do you think? Is it are you, are you glad to rewatch it? Are you going to be rewatching it yearly from now on, or was it like, yeah, that was nice, but uh, I'm just um, I'm I moved on. Yeah, I definitely think I probably wouldn't rewatch this again for another thirty years at the very least, because um, by that point maybe I wouldn't even remember that I'd seen it or something. I just it, look, it's it's not a good movie. I think we're <laughs> I think I don't think I'm you know, ruining this for anyone, right? It doesn't mean you can't enjoy it, you can't love it, and can't have it as a part of your history. It is kind of a part of my history still, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't necessarily recommend mm. the movie, you know, for people to watch. It's like, I want to watch a good movie. Well, probably not this one. Right. Then, yeah, you know, go... You go through your DVD library, just <laughs> skip The Wizard. <laughs> yeah, so maybe as a one-time kind of cultural thing if you have somebody who's really interested in video games and movies together and you're like this would definitely be one that i would put put in there then for that reason it's like watch how this was done originally we've gotten a lot better at at making hour and a half two hour long commercials we've gotten better <laughs> at it, but this is sort of like their first attempt at this <laughs> that's true yeah wow. i I had not seen this movie, and I think as a kid, um, I would have been super into it. I, you know, sort of right up my alley. I can see how this is exciting and interesting for a kid. And we sometimes talk about stuff now that's like, oh, yeah, you know, show this to your kids. Like, you know, maybe me as an adult, it, it wouldn't work. Uh, but, you know, showing it to your kids, they they might still enjoy it. But I think it's so mired in the 1980s that it would maybe be laughable to kids these days for totally different reasons. Um, So I think in that respect, yeah, it's just, it was a thing of its time and I had fun watching it and talking about it here, but I don't foresee myself probably ever watching it again, unless it's like somebody's birthday and they really want to. And uh, I just, I got no choice there. Nick, what do you think? You know, for having no experience with this movie uh, prior, I, I I really did find it charming. You know, I, I will agree ultimately that uh, it, it did not leave me with an overwhelming sense of like wanting to revisit it anytime soon or at all. Uh, I also think that if we look at, especially when we talk about it on this show, like I always think of it both in terms of like, you know, is this still good or like, is this like, is this still relevant and meaningful? Like as an adult revisiting, you know, this thing from childhood or what have you, um, like you kind of like when you see a movie that like has a lot of adult themes, but it's meant for kids, but like the parents get to enjoy it too. Like you can, you know, like a Pixar movie, like you can, you can always go and revisit those movies and they, and they really hold up, uh, most of the time. Um, but in this case, it's like as an adult, I mean, I've, especially in terms of interest in video games and all of that, like I've grown so far beyond, you know, um, and then also for kids, kids, I mean, what they've grown up with, like, you know, is so different from this movie that I, I don't think it would be bad to put on in front of the kids, right? Like it's a fairly inoffensive movie. Um, I don't know if it would really connect with them though. So it's, it's, it's difficult to say, but ultimately I'm, I would say that it's, uh, it belongs in the Hall of Memories for us 80s kid. Well, I'm more of a 90s kid. I was one, like I said, I was one, and I was watching Citizen Kane as a whole thing. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. How about you, David? 
I mean, I already said my bit, but I oh, appreciate crap, you, you, did, you did. too. <laughs> but uh, I, I will say, if there's any part of this that's like worth checking out, just Google or go on YouTube and look up the Power Glove scene. Like, see that. See that yeah, happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, then just move on with your life. Uh, because that'll give you a pretty good feel of of what you're looking at here. Those are our thoughts on it. Listening audience, we want to know your thoughts. Of course, you can let us know at hitmeonemoretime.com slash contact. Find all of our socials and email address there. Or hit me one more pod on the socials is where you can find us. We love hearing from you. Joe, thank you so much for being on the show today. Nick, David, thank you both so much. Where can people find you should you wish to be found? Easiest place to go to theneutralgroundpodcast.com. Right there at my website, you can check out my uh, podcast. You can read a little bit about me, why I started it. So theneutralgroundpodcast.com. Check it out, people. Nick, thanks for being here. Thank you, David. Where can people find you? As always, they can find me on Instagram at palblamshazam underscore art or on Twitter at palblamshazam. And if people want to find me, it's Davluz, D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram. Find me there. Listening audience, thank you for being part of the show. We do this show for you. We do this show because of you. Remember, you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time.
I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep saying how excited I am because I'm excited about, I don't have the show notes up. I'm realizing now. Uh, <laughs> keep vamping, David. Done. Gosh, I'm sorry. This is crazy unprofessional. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I know Joe's name. I just want to make sure I can talk about his podcast. It's called the Neutral Ground Podcast. Well, in case you forgot, I I didn't. But I I'm assuming sure. you're I'm assuming you're cutting this part out. Uh, yeah, I'm so gonna stick it at the end. Just... I, I stick I stick these gaffes at the end. <laughs> but anyway, uh, 